Together has power. Don't run alone. Do not run alone. I'll tell you, on our own, a lot of us, we end up taking trajectories like that, don't we? We end up doing a lot of running on our own. I just had the privilege with a team of, of people here from the church. We ran together in this fun, this fun run a couple weeks ago. Um, and uh, it ended up being a cold weekend. It was a run called the Tough Mudder. And you, um, you run, it's like 12 miles, and then there's all these fun obstacles and stuff and uh, challenging. Fun might not be the word that some of you would think with it, but it's tons of fun. You get muddy and cold and wet. And so there's a team of eight of us, and uh, we were all there, and we started. And there was another guy here from church who heard about it late, and he had signed up, and he was going to get his time changed, he was going to run with us, and he was late on the way there. And so we actually went through it, and to be honest, just with all the different steps and that, it took almost four hours, right, to do the whole thing. It's not just a straight run, and you're doing all these different things, and you're waiting in line at some points. But the very first thing they have you do is, and you get, you get wet and cold right away. And it was 48 degrees outside, and it was windy. And so you're wet immediately in this ice water, and, and then you've got four hours of running to do. And I tell you, when you're together, I was amazing. We had a blast. You're running, and you're laughing, and you're joking. When one of you is weak, the other one is strong. And, you know, you just kind of pair up, and you end up having 10 different great conversations throughout the day. And even though it was freezing, and it was difficult, and it was muddy, and it was challenging, and there's aches, and all that, it was, it was fun. Well, this guy that Rob, who was going to come, he, he was late. He actually got a speeding ticket. It was out in Twilla. You know how when, he, when you're running late out there, when you're going towards Stansbury Park, and you're on that straightaway that feels like it should be 70, and it's only 45? Anyways, so he got a ticket, and he was late. And, uh, and so he knew some people who were running later, but he would have had to wait an extra hour. And we had already launched off, and there was no way that he could catch up with us. And he thought, well, I'm just going to go it alone. Man, he had a totally different experience. Like, because it was still 48 degrees out, and he was wet just like we were. And there were some points that were fun, but he didn't know. And, you know, there's people all around, but he did it all on his own. And it was tough. He just said, it was like everything I could do to stay positive and to keep going. I thought about stopping the whole time. To be honest, it never even occurred to me to stop because we were just having a great time. And, and I think primarily that's because it was all the people around me. We had fun together. It wasn't simple, but, but we did it. And if I had been alone, man, I, I probably would have been tempted to bail out too. And as we come to this today, to this discussion about the team, if it's your first week with us, you kind of got parachuted right into the middle of this, this really fun series we've been doing called Base Camp. And if you're traveling or something and this is your only week here, grab one of these at the bookstore on your way out. We'd love for you to have one. And uh, this, is, this is a really great way to have an introductory conversation about what does it mean for me to walk with Jesus? Um, what does it mean for me to meet God and get into the adventure of life with him? And so uh, many of you are involved with Base Camp Groove. 
groups and we're kind of going through this as a church and at some point during the week you're meeting together with a group of other people and you're talking through what we talk here on the weekend and the last couple weeks we really discovered that God sent the Holy Spirit to be our guide. He comes to live when we become followers of Jesus, when we believe in him, when we trust in him for salvation. He comes and he lives in us and he guides us. He, he speaks to us and leads us and guides us and comforts us and encourages us and, and he does that right from within who we are. He comes to live in us. And then we discovered that God uses his word in some of the same ways. The chapter is called the field manual, that there's a manual for all kinds of things in life. And God has given this, us this field manual for the adventure. And today, what we're talking about is the team. Because many of us, many of us come here to the church. And for some of you, in fact, it actually took very individual effort it took you being very much an individual to choose Christ. Okay, it's kind, of a, it's kind of a strange thing. Some of you actually chose Christ in a very individual way. Some of you had pressure greatly from maybe family or friends or the community around you to do anything but to pursue Christ. And you, you had to actually stand up as an individual to say, I'm going to break away and I, I know this to be true. I'm going to believe in Christ. And that's how you arrived here. And, and you're going to find today, we're going to find from God's word that, that actually we arrive and we arrive into something so much bigger than ourselves. Some of us just on our own, we love to be an individual. We just, we love the fact that, that there's nobody like me and I make my own decisions. And we're going to find that God has designed you to be part of a team that's so much bigger than you. That each move you make is designed to build up others around you in the team, in the body. And that each, each move that you make has effect and each move that others make has effect on you as part of the body of Christ and, and that in that is strength. And so today, really just setting it up and don't run alone. There's places in life that you and I are weak and we need somebody to push us. And there's places in life that you're strong and you need to push someone else. And God says, that's how I'm going to make up this team. And I'm calling you into the adventure of life. So we're going to turn to the scriptures and we're going to look at that. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm going to pray and we're going to get started. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you brought us here. Thanks for this church and that, that you brought us here as people to be part of what you're doing not only in our lives, but in the life of so many other people around us and in the life of this city. And God, even in the lives of people who don't even know about you yet. God, thank you that you have, have brought us here. Thanks for K2. And, and God, we just ask that you this morning would, would speak to us. Just like we've been studying the last few weeks, God, you are able to speak to us. You're an alive God. You aren't a, a dead God. You aren't simply an idea that you are a God who speaks and reveals who you are and you draw us to you. So God, that's my prayer is that today you would turn the lights on through your Holy Spirit that you would make these words that I say from your word, not because they're anything special, but because they talk about you and you're special, that you would take those words and you would teach our heart. God, we ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our connection with others in this team is powerful. 
uh, because that's the way God designed it. A couple weeks ago, Dave said that that God made us in, him, in, in his image. Right from the start of scripture, God says, I have existed forever in eternity past, and I made the earth and I made people, and I made them in my image. Different from the trees and the fish and the animals, I made people in my image. And he actually says, let us, and he refers to himself as plural, and he says, let us make man in our image, man and woman, let us make them in our our image. And God says right from the start that he exists in community, that he's different than all the other gods, that he isn't, he isn't pantheist. He isn't God everywhere in everything. He isn't lots of different gods. He is one God that exists in three persons. He is one God in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is in community and always has been. That's why God can say, I am love. He has been selflessly loving for eternity past. Love always puts others first. And he says, I am love in his holiness, in his perfection, he is in community and he makes man in his image and he calls us to be in that kind of community. So right from the start, community plays a huge role in the adventure of life with God. It just plays a huge role in it. And so the first thing we're going to talk today is about recognizing reality. When you received Christ, you came into something that is bigger than you. This is the reality. We want you to recognize that today, that when you received Christ, you came into a body. It's not just about you. You came into a community. You came into a group. You came into a team. You came into a family that is bigger than you. And God says that there's strength in that. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, write this down, 1 Corinthians 12. If you've never read uh, 1 Corinthians 12 before, man, I, if any of this intrigues you, man, you could spend, you could spend a, every morning this week in 1 Corinthians 12. Because God just says, this is how I want to use the body. And that's one of the pictures that he used. Paul says, the church, it's like a body, right? It's like a, it's like a body. He says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you has a part in it. God actually says that he puts us together in a body much like you would have a body. Now I want you to look at your hands, right? Right? Uh, look at both your hands or your kneecaps. I don't care. Um, and um, is, is the one on the right more a uh, part of you than the one on the left? No. They are both part of the body. They're both, they're both parts of your body. And Paul goes on at great length. And again, 1 Corinthians 12, read it this week. He just says, obviously, one part of the body isn't more important than other parts of the body. He says, all are the body and they all play a specific part. He says, your hand doesn't say to the feet, you know, like, Man, I don't need you and cut its feet off, right? No one would do that to themselves. They're all, and he says, when you come into the church, when you receive Christ, you become part of the body. So let me ask you a question uh, as grisly as, as it sounds like. If you were to, to lose one of your fingers right now, if somebody's to cut off one of your fingers, would the rest of your body, well, you know, it's just my little finger. It's not bad. No, the rest of your body would scream. The rest of your body would be aching in pain. You would not know that your toenails have so many sensors until you cut off your finger, right? Like your whole body would be in pain. And he says, when you come into the body of Christ, okay, that 
or when you come into Christ, you come into a body. The second picture that he uses is you're part of a building, okay? It's like you're, you're, you're one of the blocks in a building. Here's what Peter says. You also, and this is in First uh, Peter chapter 2, you also, like living stones, are being built into the spiritual house of a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God says that he is building his kingdom, his church, and it's like he's building a building, and, and you're part of that, right? If, if you go up to a building, and if you rip a few of the blocks out of the corner of the building, does the rest of the building not notice? No, it very much notices, right? It very much notices. You are part of a building. And lastly, one of the, the pictures he gives is that you're part of a family. In Ephesians, Paul talks about it like this. Uh, because Jews and Gentiles, they used to be very opposed religiously, culturally. He said, so you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're not outside any longer. You're citizens of all God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together we are his house built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Again, the picture that God brought you into this family, into this building, into this team, and he is building a kingdom so much bigger than just you. Now, at the same time, God says that he knows every detail of our lives. He, you aren't just a, an unnamed block in a building, right? So it, it goes both ways. You could say, wow, this is fantastic. I didn't know I was part of something bigger. Or you could, could say, well, man, if I'm only like a block in the wall, like how important am I, right? But God says both, he, he loves us. He, he knows you down to the detail of knowing how many hairs are on your head. He loves you with such intentionality and yet you're part of something bigger. You're part of something greater because he's calling you into the adventure of life with him. He's not just, how many of you would be really excited if every week we stood up here and we, we said, man, God's calling you into the adventure of life with you. Well, it's like I've already done that and like there's been some good moments and there's, but, but God is so much bigger and he, he calls us together to be part of each other's experience as we pursue him and as he builds his kingdom. This week in your, uh, in your base camp book, uh, again, if you're not in a group, I'd love for you to get one of these and, and pursue along with us. If you're with us week, out, week, week in and week out, um, or you can find this online on our website, all the videos and kind of being able to go through this, follow through the, with us, follow through this with us. But this week, we're going to talk about three things. We're not going to break them down right now. But the fact that in that family, in that body, everyone matters, everyone is cared for, and everyone is encouraged, okay? In that, in that family, God wants to use us. Now, there's probably a number of different ways today that we could speak about what happens when you're part of the body. There's a number of different ways that we could say that. Um, we could talk about missionally, like, man, it's easier to get the job done when you're all together. We, we could talk about how God wants to build his kingdom and when we all pitch in and we all do it, it makes it easier. We're not really going to talk about that today. We could talk about the fact that as a team, there's lots more gifts, right? We could talk, in fact, if he, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 that I told you to read, like it talks a lot about how God puts us together and there's, there's people who have this gift and there's people who have this gift and there's people who have this gift and this gift and don't think that one is more important than the other. Use all of them together and we could talk about how 
when, when we bring all those gifts together, we're going to be able to, to, again, serve a whole lot better. We're going to minister to each other and to the world. We're not really going to talk about that specifically today. Um, today, we're going to talk about not only recognizing reality, but how it, in community, we discover reality. Okay? We're going to talk today about how it's actually in community and in life together that you discover reality. Okay? So, um, for example, this here is, is a mirror. Everybody know what that is? Right? Mirror. Um, how many of you guys have something like this in your, like in your wardrobe or your bedroom? Or anybody have a stand-up mirror like this? Okay. Um, one or two. Actually, there's not many of you because our arts team tried to find people that had one to use and they couldn't, so they had to buy them. So, um, so anyways, um, this, is, uh, this is a mirror. And what do you guys know about mirrors? Mirrors do what? They reflect, right? Sometimes poorly, sometimes really well. Um, mirrors, um, mirrors show what is true. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but like in the Bible, um, James just, when he's teaching, he says that uh, like the scripture can be like a mirror, right? It can, it can show you stuff in your life, but, but what else can be like a mirror? We can be like mirrors to each other. We can actually, we can reflect, we can reflect God toward each other. Um, how many of you had this experience? Have you ever found yourself, probably not most of you, but have you ever found yourself incredibly frustrated with someone? Like you just, their style, their personality, the way they either talk or don't talk or act or don't act, it just really rubs you wrong. How many of you ever had that experience? Yep. And, um, and then how many of you have had the experience of actually finding that there are more than one person like that, right? There, there are actually, there, it's not just that individual. There's actually, there's more people that really have very similar personalities and they, you know, I, they all kind of rub me wrong. I, I kind of am frustrated with all of them, right? And not all people, but just this type of people. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I was thinking about this week and I was thinking about this mirror thing and, and, and I was recognizing that there are uh, certain people that kind of rub me wrong and, and the more you think about what actually annoys me about them and, and like the, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like you, you're talking about the situation and it's coming closer and closer and you spend a little more time thinking and praying about it and then all of a sudden you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, that's what I can't stand about them. That looks just like me. You ever notice that? You ever notice that some of the people that frustrate you the most or the, the aspect of life that frustrates you the most, let me, let me give a different, let's move it away. Let's talk about your kids. How many of you guys know that as your kids grow up, they develop personalities, right? And have you ever noticed that like all your best characteristics, like typically those don't like just pour out of them. Have you ever noticed that? Like some of your best characteristics do, but then like that thing with your kids that you, it's like, oh man, I wish you didn't have that. It's because it's my worst characteristic. And you notice that they take it to a whole nother level, right? Your kids take your worst stuff to your whole different level, right? And 
And it's like looking in a mirror. And so we're going to talk about how in, in community, we discover reality, even about ourselves, that God wants to use us in community to pursue holiness. Actually, he says that as we grow to be more and more like him, that we ought to be more loving and we, we ought to walk in his grace more. We ought to move towards holiness through this process. How many of you... Uh, were not not everybody. Some of, some of you got married pretty young. How many of you were adults for a while before you got married? I know technically you were an adult if you got married at twenty, but you weren't. Sorry. Um, uh, so uh, if you were an adult for a while before you got married, or maybe you were single again because of death or divorce or something, and you got married, um, have you ever had this experience where, like, you really thought you were doing? pretty well. You weren't a very selfish person. And then all of a sudden you enter into the joy of marriage and with somebody and, and it's like selfishness just explodes in front of you, right? Have you ever noticed that? And it, it's actually in community. It's actually in relationship that you discover your selfishness. If you're like me, you try to push it off on your spouse, right? And you think, well, they don't understand how to be a wife the way they're supposed to, right? Or he doesn't understand how to be a husband. And then the, the, the closer you get to actually looking square in the mirror, like I can talk all about Crystal's selfishness. I can talk all about that the more I walk around or about how she doesn't understand to be a wife or whatever. But, but when I stand in front of the mirror, it's like, oh, that's my selfishness. And for some of you, for most of us, that takes in marriage, that usually takes quite a few years before you actually square it up and realize, wow, that's me. So it's in community that we discover some reality. Galatians 5 says this. Uh, Galatians 5, 6 says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. Here's the difficulty. You and I come to Christ. Many of us have, have come to Christ out of, out of places of need in our lives. Some of us grew up in the church and we came to Christ. And we, we hear this idea of loving each other. And yet in our relationships, it doesn't always pour out that way. We discover, we discover our need for grace and our need for love in community. You know, as, as we come to Christ what we discover is that many of us have been given patterns. We've been given lies. We've been given things that aren't true that we've, we've based our entire life on. And there's a, a sense that we come to Christ and we discover what is true about God. And sometimes for the first time in our lives, we discover what is true about us. See, all of us have stories. All of us have places that we come from. And I want to share with you a little bit about one of uh, the leaders of some of our young adults, one, one of the leaders, Cherish, and, and her story about how she came to Christ and, and how it was in community, really, that, that God helped her discover reality and who God made her to be. Would you watch this with me? By age eight, I was um, involved in alcohol and drugs. Um, I, I didn't really have any guidance from home. My mom was a single mom and she was 
more involved in her own life in drugs and alcohol that uh, unfortunately she didn't offer a lot of guidance and support for me. Um, by the time I was 11, I was willingly uh, sexually active and um, my drug addiction just escalated from there. Uh, I then entered into what I called a relationship at the time, um, and it wasn't until I was much older to realize that it was child molestation, it wasn't a relationship. And it was with a man who was 26 years old when I was 12. I told my mom about it. She, she came to find out about it because we were all living there in this house together, 11 people, and she didn't do anything. I had done cocaine and acid and every it, wheat, you know, marijuana or whatever up until that point, but then it really took an ugly turn into crack and heroin and meth, which are much, much harsher. Um, drugs are all bad, but those were definitely a lot worse. Uh, we were sitting in a hotel with a, another person doing drugs and the person that my ex-husband was buying them from, and I remember him looking at my ex-husband and saying, is there an I don't remember the exact wording that he used, but he basically was asking, is there another way that you'd like to pay? <laughs> and to be honest, if my ex-husband would have said yes, that's probably what would have happened. And so fortunately, he, he didn't. I remember one time he came and he wanted to get more drugs, and you know, I would get to the point where I was just so done, and I would just want it to end, and I would just want to go. I would just want to go home, and I would want it to stop. There would be points where I just wanted it to stop. I remember one time he came and he asked me for my engagement ring so that he could pawn it and so that we could get more drugs. I didn't want to give it to him. And I remember he got really mad and he was like, just give it to me, you know, like, I'll get it back. I promise I'll get it back for you. And so I did. I ended up giving it to him. Obviously, I didn't ever get it back. <laughs> um, I remember dropping him off at work and I came home and I remember just feeling so sad and so just lost like how do I make it, this stop and I hit my knees and I didn't even know how to pray I didn't even know how to pray I didn't know what that looked like and I um, would I, I just got on my knees and laid with my head on the bed and started just praying like calling out to God and saying, please, please help me. I don't even know if you exist or if you're real or what. Please just make this stop for me. And I just, I don't remember everything that I said. I just remember feeling done and just weeping and crying for like, I remember it being like 30 minutes. And the only reason I remember that is because anyone knows me, it's hard for me to sit still for 30 minutes. And I just was like, wow, that was impactful and, and nothing miraculous happened in that moment but I remember a piece and at the point at that time I identified it as being numb like I was just done and now I can look back and say it was God's peace I called my best friend who was the only real friend I had in all of this situation because she wouldn't partake in the things that I was taking part in. <laughs> and our friendship suffered for that. But when I really needed her, she was there. 
And so I called her and explained to her what had happened. And her family graciously opened up their home to me, which, given the condition I was in, I don't know why they would have. Like, I was homeless and I was struck out on drugs. I barely had a job. But they said I could come sleep on their couch. And then one day in June of 2008, my friend Robin brought me to K2. And I didn't even know why Jesus died. I didn't understand that. I knew kind of who he was, but I didn't really understand why he died. And that day, Dave was giving a sermon on why Jesus died. (laughs) And um, he was, he gave this analogy that was so just relatable for me because he said if someone gave you five bucks and said you didn't have to pay him back you'd be like oh that's awesome that's cool if someone gave you a million bucks and said you have to pay them back you would fall at their feet he said he gave his whole life for you and in that moment I just bawled (laughs) and my heart was captivated but I still I didn't know what I believed I didn't know if I knew that Jesus had delivered me from my addiction. I knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt. But I didn't know what it looked like to connect with people beyond that. So for the next 18 months, I came in late and I left early saying, this is great for here, but I'm not talking to anybody outside of church about God. I'm not even talking to anybody inside of church about God. I was just coming and sitting. And I came to encounter, and that was in September of 09. And at that time, Mike and Samantha Kanzler were running it, and they were both very welcoming. When I came in, I was very, very nervous. I can't believe how hot it felt in that room (laughs) because I was so nervous. I kept coming back, and it was awesome because I didn't really know what I believed, but people accepted me right where I was, just like Jesus did, you know, that just accepted me right where I was and loved me and directed me. And two months later, I was baptized by my friend Sam and Wendy, and... I've been walking with him ever since. If I wouldn't have had people around me, if I wouldn't have had that to balance me out, it really would have just been another high. Because, and it, and that's what it, I think the whole thing about the seed in the soil is if you don't have people there to help till it up, it's not going to be fertile. As I was thinking about this, like, it wouldn't have been. If I wouldn't have had people coming alongside me and guiding me when I would get in get into trouble or start feeling sad or you know just processing all of the things that I've been that I've gone through I would have easily just straight away I think that having people around me was essential to me walking with Jesus and will remain essential to me walking with him hear what she said there that it's essential to have people around me to help me continue to walk with Jesus and as as she shares and as she plays her part and leads others to Jesus she plays a vital role in their lives I discover that I'm really walking with God through relationships. Um, The adventure with God always begins and continues in faith. 
And as we do that, it always ought to express itself in love. Some of you, we all come from places. We are, all come from stories. Some of you have a story very similar. Some of you have a different story that's harsh in a different way. And it's only in community that you really meet grace and love. Now, it can go south too, right? It, you can, in community, develop those lies, right? Just like Cherish shared, she, she developed some of those lies in community through other people. This is a difficulty with, with us in our lives is that we, we so easily place our identity somewhere else and our value somewhere else. It's a difficulty with stuff like power. Like power says that, man, when, when you produce for me, when you get it done, you're valuable in identity. For us, man, in, in work, for people in work, it is difficult to not pick that up. You get bonuses and you get pats on the back when you when you move and get stuff done and produce and you start to put your identity in that. It's the difficulty in the lie of lust. It's your value because of the amount of sexual pleasure that you give to other people. It's the lie of that. It's the lie of perfection. It's the, the lie that if I am good enough that people will love me, right? It's, it's the lies that we all come in with because we come in with them and it's only in community that you really look in the mirror and you see how wholeheartedly you believe those lies. And it's not until it's met with grace and love that you understand that there's something greater. It's not until you encounter the love of Christ because the fact that God loves me is for some of us it's pretty hard to grab onto. I love the idea of it, but when when someone else loves me, not for the lie that I have believed, when someone else gives me grace, even though I don't perform, wow. Uh, God really uses that to help me see, to discover reality. In 1 John, uh, John writes, whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother whom they, or sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It's impossible to be in relationship with God and not to love others, not to express that, that love. That, that. It's impossible for us to, to say, man, I am on track with God and yet I don't get along with anyone around me. I, d I don't receive people in love and grace. Think about all of the cherishes around you because there's dozens sitting around you right now. And they need to receive from you that reflection of God's love. And if we don't, we don't really love God either. So we discover that reality and then God calls us to reflect reality. Um, the other important purpose of the church is that we need to reflect to each other in community. We need to reflect what God has done. And uh, just like there are clear mirrors, there are warped mirrors. How many of you guys uh, remember back at the fair where you'd walk through the house of mirrors and there's all the funny mirrors? And uh, most of your, I don't know, my, my kids have never done that, but they do it on the computer. You know, the funny pictures back, the distortions, you know, where your chin is really small and your forehead is ginormous, right? Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right. Um, those reflections, they're, they're, they're funny, distorted reflections, right? And, and on our own, without love, it's pretty easy to give distorted 
reflections of each other. And usually, as I just said, you and I gravitate to the ones that we already believe, to the lies we already believe um, about those reflections, that my value is found in my money or my power or my attractiveness. When we reflect back to each other, grace and truth, we have received its healing and restoration. That's God's desire for us in body, that we would reflect his truth and grace back to each other. Um, In Colossians 3, here's what he writes. He says, Paul writes this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. All these virtues and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. He says that when we live in truth and grace with each other, we're going to live in love. I'm going to be fully truthful with you. Most of us have... uh, an autopilot one way or the other. Um, How many of you, if you're going to give someone a mirror, if you're going to reflect to someone, you're probably more inclined to give them truth than grace. Everybody's going to have to raise their hand here. So uh, think about it. If you had to be honest, if, because, because none of us do it perfectly all the time. Most of us have an autopilot. We either give truth or we give grace. Okay, truth people call the grace people avoiding. Um, and uh, grace people call the truth people harsh or critical, right? Okay, so if you had to, which, which way do you usually reflect? Do you reflect in truth or grace? And 98% of you do nothing. That is not true. You're just not... You're just liars, right? And so uh, here's the deal, is that when you put it that way, we all recognize, man, I, I tend to go one way or the other. And, and what God says is God says when we put on humility and gentleness and love that we, we fully reflect truth back to people, but we do it in, in love and in grace. So, so where do we go from here? Um, I really want to ask you, I want to encourage you today as the body to think of yourself like a mirror. In fact, first of all, I want you to look for mirrors because here's where it starts. You're usually not a, a great mirror. Usually you're going to go one way or the other towards truth or grace. I want to encourage you to look for mirrors, okay? This week as I was thinking through this mirror picture, I realized that my, I have a train of frustration with a personality style that I think I looked at square in the mirror for the first time this week. I'm like, that's me. I looked for that mirror. I didn't look to, to blame someone else and say, I don't like them because I, I looked at it long enough to discover, wow, I'm, I'm really like that. I want to encourage you to to look for mirrors in the body, in your family, in, in the body of Christ. Right here, because Paul tells us, hey, I want, you to, I want you to be patient with each other. Why does he need to tell us to be patient with each other? Because we're not, right? It's not easy for us to be patient with each other. We want to bear with each other through this process. So here's what I want to say. Look for mirrors. Commit yourself to look for mirrors in others. God, how are you speaking to me through the body. Oh, wow, there's a mirror of how I need to grow. They showed up and they were so loving. Does this make sense? You see somebody and their response blows you away. Their, their godliness, it just impresses you so deeply and you think, I would never do that. That's a mirror to you. To say, huh, 
Why wouldn't I ever do that? Look for mirrors inside the body, okay? And then secondly, uh, be a mirror. Conti- um, be willing to be a mirror, okay? And here's a couple ways that Paul says to be a mirror. If you ever read through the epistles, I would encourage you to not just blow through like the last 10 verses. You know when Paul's kind of wrapping things up? If you ever read the New Testament, Paul's kind of wrapping things up in the epistles and uh, in his letters to people. And don't just cut through that because he, he says, oh, greet so-and-so. And he drops verses like this in the middle of it. And I just, I love this out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, I don't think I have it down here. I'm gonna, is it up here? 1 Thessalonians 5. He says this, now we ask you brothers to respect those who work hard among you. Think he's kind of, he's talking about like your life together leaders, okay? He says, I want you to respect those who work hard among you. They're over you in the Lord. They admonish you. It's kind of like your pastors as those who are pouring their lives into you. And he says, I want you to, I want you to respect those who, who serve you who work hard in the Lord for you and who admonish you and teach you. Hold them in the highest regard because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Um, we urge you, brothers, to warn those who are idle. In, in, uh, in, in Thessalonica, they had people who weren't working and they were saying, you should take care of me even though I could work and I'm not working. And he just says, I want you to, I want you to warn those. I want you to give truth and love to them. I want you to warn them to get to work. He says, encourage those who are timid, those who are weak and fearful. I want you in truth and in grace to encourage them. He'd tell you to destroy them. He told, know where they're at, go to them in love and truth and encourage them not to be fearful, okay? Help those who are weak. Those who are weak, those who are sick, those who are in need, help them, okay? Don't go to them and tell them they shouldn't be weak. They are weak. Help them, he says. And be patient with everyone, okay? You can jump into that later. But what Paul says is be an accurate mirror of truth and grace, to others. He said, don't beat around the bush. Don't ignore the issues. Speak to the issues in love and serve them. So be a mirror. And then lastly, just like we talked about last week in the field manual, allow God's word to be the clearest mirror to you. Like I mentioned earlier, James says, don't go to God's word like a mirror. See what needs to be changed and walk away and not change it. Okay? None of us is ever going to do that perfectly. But the more that you look at God's word and say, God, speak to me. I want to see what's true. And then I want to go away and I want to fix it. Nobody in this room that I can see showed up just like you got out of bed this morning. Right? Um, everybody looked at a mirror. Everybody combed their hair. He said, it wouldn't make sense to wake up, look at the mirror, and not sort yourself out before you go out in public. He said, in the same way, take God's word, look at it, allow God to speak to your life, and then receive from him. Allow him to be a mirror to you. Okay, band is going to come on up, and we're going to continue in worship because this statement that we're going to say in this first song is exactly dead on. That we together are here for you. That we as the body of Christ are here for you, God. Right? This togetherness that God created us for, We are here to worship you. We're here to receive from you. We're here for you to use in the lives of of everyone around us. And we're asking that God, that you would use us. Not just to go out, not just to, to build in, but that both, that God would use us to worship him and build into the lives of each other with with truth and with grace.
Let me pray. God, we, we thank you for your word and we pray today that as we worship, that you would that you would just continue to speak some of these things to our hearts, that you'd be a mirror to us, and that as we go out this week, that we would look for mirrors of how you want to speak to us through each other. And that, God, that in your grace, that, that we might be a mirror for others as we love, that it might reflect you to others and that you might grow your body in that way. We give you praise in Jesus' name.